It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on the time zone you're in and the time you're listening to this show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Speedway Show. Today, we are continuing with our Tame My Kids series, and we're going to talk about other aspects of discipline for the zero to six-month-old. Why? Because this is such a critical time in your child's life. Get all these things right at this stage, and you will be able to avoid the tantrums in the grocery stores, the um, just general misbehavior kind of stuff. And today, so the last time we talked about this, we talked about particularly getting your kids to sleep. And my goal is to talk about some of the more difficult issues that we face with our little babies and our infants and uh, our, our children. So here we are. We're going to talk about the dropsies. As I have said in the show, I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a super ma- uh, super nanny. I am just a really good mom, and uh, I consider myself a really good mom based on the outcome. And the outcome is um, uh, the the girl's dad and I, his name is James, we have, um, in my opinion, some of the best kids on the planet. And we managed to uh, achieve that because, in part, we were actually always on the same page when it came to parenting. Whatever other differences we had were divorced, so obviously we had some differences, right? But whatever differences we had, parenting was not one of them. We always agreed on discipline. We always agreed on how to manage the children, and uh, we were always on the same page with respect to the babies. And it shows. It shows in how well they've turned out, I think. And um, maybe these are last words because the kids are 8 and 10, and people keep telling us when they become teenagers, you know, oh, hell, is just going to break loose. I don't believe it. I think you can have amazing teenagers. I know parents who have, and um, my parents included. I was an amazing teenager. I was absolutely great, although my parents were so convinced I was going to be a horrible teenager, I think they ascribed all sorts of horrible things to me that weren't even the case at the time. But that's a show for another day. Let's talk about the dropsies. And the reason I want to talk about the dropsies is this is a critical training opportunity. If you're not training your kids at the time that the dropsies start, they're training you. Trust me. Uh, One of the myths at this stage when your kids start dropping stuff, usually it's early, right? You are, uh, they've got toys, they've got, uh, they might have uh, feeding utensils, that first spoon that you give them to um, start learning how to feed themselves, and uh, they're dropping things, and you might be thinking, oh, um, they're just inept. Well, that's partly true, but it's also a training opportunity because The number of times you pick up something that a child drops, especially when they're old enough to sit up uh, in a high chair, for example, the more times you pick that thing up, the more times you're teaching your child you will tolerate certain behaviors, okay? Now, you don't have to. In fact, I would argue very strongly that language is not even almost a necessary tool for training your kids. Too often, parents wait too late. They wait until the kids can reason. They wait till the kids can speak. And by then, it's too late because you are already trained. Here's the rule that I had for the dropsies. I had the uh, 
one pickup rule, and it was more. I think I started with a three pickup rule where I would pick something up three times if my kid dropped it. And after that, I wouldn't pick, I'd pick it up, but I wouldn't give it back to him. And as my daughter, my first child in particular, got older and more sophisticated, the number of pickups got fewer and fewer until there was just a one pickup rule. So by the time she was sitting up in her high, high chair and learning how to use a spoon, I had a one pickup rule. And thereafter, she would forfeit whatever it was she dropped. Now, the one thing I'll tell you about discipline is you don't have to nag, you don't have to lecture, you don't have to yell, you don't even have to spank, okay? And here's why. Because your actions will always speak louder than your words. You have to be consistent and you have to be firm. Stick to your guns, but don't yell and don't nag. And you can talk to your child in a nice tone of voice, and still discipline. So this is how I would deal with the dropsies. Olivia would drop, let's say she's sitting in her high seat, and she drops her spoon. Now she'll drop the spoon, she'll look down on the floor, and then she'll look over at me to see what I'm going to do. And I would look at her, and I would look down at the spoon, and I would say to her, oh, I see you dropped your spoon. And I'd go over, I'd pick it up, and I'd say, here. I'd pick it up, I'd give it to her. That was my one drop roll. And no sooner did I pick it up and give it to her than she would drop it again. And she'd look down at it, and she'd look over at me to see what I was going to do. And I would look down at it, I would look at her, I would pick it up, I'd hold it in front of her, and I would say, oh, I see you don't need this anymore. And and while she was watching, I would take that spoon over, I'd drop it in the sink, and I'd turn and I'd look at her. And she'd look at her food, and I'd look at her. <laughs> and I'd say, well, I guess you'll have to eat without it. And so she did. And so one of the things that Olivia learned very early was, uh, beyond one time, she did not get her her spoon back. I didn't nag. I didn't yell. I wasn't mad at her. And frankly, if you get to the point where you're angry, you have let that behavior go far too long. I wasn't upset. I just talked to her. Now, she didn't know what I said, but she understood the tone. And she always and, and my tone was always the same. It was always that firm tone, Oh, I see you don't want your fork anymore and I'd put some I'd put it away. And she understood the tone. Because whenever she did something wrong and she was being disciplined, that was how I would speak to her. Oh, I see you want to go to bed. Oh, I see it's time to take away that toy. And um you know, she kind of got it. And and everything I said started with, oh. So whenever she heard, oh, you know, sometimes if she was misbehaving, let's say she was talking around and she was touching something she shouldn't have been, and I would say, oh, she would immediately turn around and look at me and she'd stop what she was doing because that was how I trained this child to recognize when she was doing something wrong. So that was one thing. And the dropsies, I promise you, you be consistent in all other things and she will get it or he will get it. The other thing, discipline is also about empowerment. Start empowering your kids. Give them choices as early as you can, and you will see a difference in how they behave. And this is especially true because when they get to about 18 months, this is where the bad behavior usually starts because behavioral psychologists say this is where children start to develop their will 
and their desire to control their environment. And the problem, of course, is two-year-olds are very ambulatory, right? They get into everything, but they are a danger to themselves and others. And so what most parents do is they they spend most of that time saying no to their kids and trying to stop them from doing stuff. But actually what you ought to do and start at zero to six, start empowering them, start giving them choices and making them choose. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what on earth can a six-month-old choose? They can't speak. And so what are, what am I going to give this kid to choose? Well, give them a choice of food. Give them a choice of the, everything that you give you do to your child. Give them a choice. Here's how choice used to work for me at six months. Olivia sitting in her high chair, and I was going to give her her food, right? I was going to give her baby food, let's say. Now, I don't care which baby food she eats because I bought it already, so I've made my choices. So I would put in front of her two jars. One jar of green beans, one jar of, you know, pick something, peas. I don't care which I give her because sooner or later she's going to have them, she will have had them both. And I would touch one, I would touch the other, or I'd hold them both in each hand and I'd, I'd, I'd extend one to her and I'd extend the other to her. And if she didn't make a choice, if she was too young to get it and she didn't make a choice, I would choose one for her. But over time what she understood was that when I put two things in front of her, Whichever one she touched, that's what she got. So over time, she would she would she would make choices by touching things. Whatever she touched, that's what she got. If she had a choice of two desserts, you can have peaches or pears. Whichever if she touched the peaches, that's what she would get. That's how she learned to make choices. Do you want to use well a fork or a spoon? Now she couldn't use either one effectively. It didn't really matter to me which one she used. She'd pick one. The point was to give the baby choices, and here's why. The, f- the more choices you give your children, the fewer tantrums. The more they get to choose, the firmer you can be about what they don't get to choose, and the less they mind when they can't choose, okay? And here's what it looked like when they got older. I'd say to Olivia, would you like these pajamas or those pajamas? Blue? Do you want your red pajamas or do you want your pink pajamas? And she would most often choose one set of pajamas. Now, if she said, I don't want to go to bed, I would say, did I ask you if you wanted to go to bed? Uh, No, I asked you which pajamas you'd like to wear to bed, right? And what she understood was, you get to make this choice. I didn't give you the other choice. Would you like your red coat or your black coat? I don't want to wear a coat. I didn't ask you if you wanted to wear a coat. I asked you which coat you wanted to wear. And so if you channel the choices in the right direction, you will have a much easier time getting your kids empowered. And the more they feel like they can control their environment, the fewer tantrums, I promise you, the fewer tantrums you're going to have. The other thing that I would suggest to you is be start building trust and security, zero to six. Build trust and security. Be attentive to your child's needs. Um, If they're crying, especially as babies, you will learn to recognize your children's cry, right? There is a certain cry that says, I'm hungry. There's a certain cry that says, I'm tired. There's a certain cry that says, I'm overstimulated. I want to be someplace, you know, quiet. There's a certain cry that says, I've hurt myself. I scratched my face and it hurts. You will recognize that. 
be attentive to their needs. Discipline is not about making them cry forever. It's not about making them suffer or struggle. It is also about building trust and security. Smile at your babies. Um, Babies' eyes are about 75% of their adult size, but actually their vision at birth is quite poor. It's like 20 to four, 20, uh, 20 by 400. Um, by six months, their vision gets to about 2020. This is according to a study by Margolis, a uh, 2005 study. Um, and, you know, you will have resources to this and other uh, studies and links on speedway.com. So visit the speedwayshow.com or speedway.com, and you'll get the links on the posting for the site. So their their eyesight is not that great, and um, in fact, in newborns, they can see best at a distance of something like 8 to 14 inches in front of their face, which means you have to get really up close and personal to their faces, touch your nose to their nose, smile at them. Human babies are the only primates that smile at their parents, the only ones. So understand that when you smile, they will mirror your smile. They much prefer your smiling face than your grumpy face. Um, and if you don't believe me, go up to a baby, and this will happen most of most of the time, not all, but a lot of the times. Smile at a baby, they'll smile back at you. Uh, look serious or angry and their smiles will fade, and if you do it for long enough, they will actually cry. So it matters. It matters. Smile at your babies. Touch, touch, touch your babies. This is very, very important. The Within a few days of birth, there has been a study, Fascinating Baby Brains, Live Science, 2011, uh, that demonstrated that actually within a few days of birth, a baby can distinguish between the touch of bristles that are of different diameters. Imagine that. Bristles, they can distinguish as babies. According to Health, a newsletter from Dr. Ben E. Benjamin, a hundred years ago, about 99% of babies in orphanages died before they were seven months old. And they were, uh, there were experiments with, you know, why are these babies dying before they're seven months old? They tried creating more, um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, antiseptic uh, environments. They tried creating safer environments, cleaner environments, and none of that worked. Uh, what actually eventually did work was they found that when they took the babies out of the sterile surroundings and they surrounded them with nurture and they um, touched the babies, they were... Um, removed from the large, clean, but impersonal institutions to environments where they received physical nurturing along with formula, and they were touched. They started surviving. Their survival rates went up, they gained uh, weight, and they finally began to thrive. According to natural, the Natural Child Project, Contrary to what we have been taught to believe, research shows that babies who are held and carried all the time and get their need for touch well met in their first year, those babies do not become clingy and overly dependent. They cry a lot less, and they grow to become happier, more intelligent, more independent, more loving, and more social than babies who spend much of their infancy in infancy swings, cribs, and all of the other plastic baby-holding gadgets that don't provide babies with human contact. 
when I was growing up in rural Zimbabwe, one of the things that you saw all the time is you still see it in rural uh, in rural areas, in rural countries. You see babies being carried on the backs of their mothers. And uh, sometimes the moms used towels. We actually had slings that we used very effectively. And it was partly out of necessity, right? So if mom's going to the field to plow, if mom's going to the river to fetch water, she needed a way to carry that baby. And she'd put the baby on her back. Very, very effective because the children were on the back. They were they had their heads and their bodies up against mom all the time, and they cried less. They were really good babies, and we didn't have discipline problems like we do these days. So touch is critically, critically important. If you can carry your baby around in the sling, do it, do it, do it. Um, speak to the baby in a loving voice. They already know your 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 voice because especially mom, they've been listening to you for nine months. And there are actually studies that demonstrate that a baby will turn towards the voice of its mother even as a newborn. And if dad talks to the baby in the womb, uh, babies will recognize their dad's voices too. So talk to your babies before they're born, and you will notice that they will turn towards you when you talk. If you're in a crowded room and you start talking to your baby and you're standing on the left, have somebody else talk to them on the right, and your baby will turn towards the sound of your voice. Um, so watch out also for cues and anticipate the needs. So there's certain things that your babies will do, and actually crying is often a last resort. I read some book that talked about this, that by the time your child cries, you have missed. It means you have missed a whole bunch of cues. For example, if they rub their eyes usually and they start blinking, it usually means they're tired. Pay attention. Your baby will tell you. If uh, they start smacking their lips, and, and and turning the head like they're looking for a bottle or a nipple, they're probably hungry. Feed them before they get to the point of crying and they're not going to cry. They might fuss if they're over, if they overstimulated, if they get overstimulated. I never got this one right. And um, I read it in some baby book. But, you know, overstimulation happens because your babies are, you know, exposed to um, light, they're exposed to noise, they're exposed to, you know, the stuff that... You, you have in a regular household. If you have a party, lots of people talking, lots of sing, things coming at them, they get overstimulated, they cry, they don't like that. And the solution for overstimulation, according to this book I read, is you take them into a dark, quiet place. So go into a dark closet, go into a dark part of the room, go into a room and close the blinds so they don't, they're not looking at stuff. Overstimulation, you can also tell when your children start looking like they're afraid. They look around and their eyes get big, like they're seeing something that frightens them. That's also an indication that they're getting overstimulated. Now, when Olivia, my firstborn, started getting overstimulated and she started looking like that, no matter what I did, she was going to cry anyway. So I never got this one right, so hopefully, power to you, maybe you can get this one right. If you miss a cue, bad things happen. Now, my daughter, my firstborn, because as I said, I wasn't a perfect parent. She wasn't a perfect child. And sometimes, no matter all, all the books I read, could not stop the screaming that sometimes happened. If Olivia got tired and we were in a position where we could not put her to bed immediately, let's say we were out and about, we were shopping, we were out at a friend's house, she would go into this screaming fit, I mean a screaming fit, yelling at the top of her lungs. And she would scream until I think the one thing that we could do is we'd put her in a car seat, 
we'd jump in a car and we'd go. So whatever we were doing, somebody had to leave and uh, put her in the car seat, and then she'd fall asleep. But, boy, if you if you missed a cue with my firstborn, then it was screaming frenzy, and it was just absolutely awful. And so I became pretty astute at trying to read my baby because if I if I got it wrong, we were in for a really, really hard time. So these are things to remember at the zero to six-month stage. And the more I, I truly believe this, the more you treat your children with love and the more you empower them starting from that really early age and you give them choices of what they want and how to control their environment, the fewer problems you're going to have because, frankly, if a child is busy choosing all the things they can choose, they don't have the energy to squawk and complain about the things they don't get to choose. And you have to be clear about where the boundaries of choice are. You can choose anything you like within the circle of options, but outside the circle of options, that is not for you to choose. And they will get it. So zero to six, those are all of the big things that I can tell you. Breaking habits is really hard. And uh, if you have to do it, it's you know expect that it's going to take at least three tries. It might take three days' worth of doing the same thing and being consistent. One of the things that gets in the way of, of breaking kids' habits is, I'd say, two things. Number one, parents feel guilty about their babies crying because they're trying to break a habit and the baby's not un- and the baby's not happy. The other thing is that the the parents themselves get tired and so they go back to whatever their bad habits were and then it gets even harder to teach the child because the child has now learned that mommy is inconsistent. If I throw a tantrum big enough, then mama's going to cave or dad's going to cave. And so if you have to break a child's habits then understand that you're going to have to be really, really consistent. And the more consistent you are about doing it, the easier it's going to be. So that brings us to the close of our zero to six episode. And um, we will be talking more into uh, about uh, how to deal with things like two-year-olds, etc., as we go along. So tune in the next show, and we'll be talking about more of that. So this is Spiwe saying, uh, take care of those little creatures. The biggest privilege that you have is the privilege of being able to have children. Talk to a parent who can't have children, a mom or a dad who's always wanted kids. Talk to a mom or a dad who for some reason has lost their children. And um, you will find out that actually it is absolutely a privilege to have your children. It might not feel like it at 2 o'clock in the morning when you're awake because that baby is awake, but I promise you it is a privilege. Take care of them, look after them, go in peace, and love your babies. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.